From Evoke Media, I'm Sabrina Mirage Naim. With me is Cassia Binkowski, and this is Breaking Glass, a series of conversations with women around the world who are shattering glass ceilings and challenging social norms. They are audacious, gutsy, and their stories are echoed across borders and generations in a rallying cry that is changing the narrative for women everywhere. We head to Tokyo today to have a timely discussion on the mental health of Japanese women during the pandemic. The New York Times headline that grabbed our attention and sparked our interest in this topic read, as pandemic took hold, suicides rose among Japanese women. In 2020 alone, nearly 7,000 women took their own lives, putting the country at one of the highest suicide rates in the world. So we went looking for a local expert to understand why. Dr. Yuko Kawanishi is a sociologist based in Tokyo who specializes in mental health, gender and family relations, and contemporary Japanese social issues. Sabrina, Dr. Yuko breaks down for us the unique expectations that Japanese culture places on women, and we explore how some of those dynamics were exacerbated by the pandemic. But perhaps more interesting than that, our conversation actually shed light on the gender dynamics in Japan at large. I, for one, was shocked to learn how poorly the country ranks on global gender equity indices and how men's mental health is actually being impacted as women push for greater opportunity and representation. Right, and there's still so much work to be done. From destigmatizing mental health services to lifting the intense shame and victim blaming being put on women, there's a lot to learn from this conversation and quite a bit left to do. Take a listen. Okay, Dr. Yuko Kawanishi, thank you so much for joining us today on what we feel is a very timely issue about mental health in Japan. Uh, First of all, thank you very much for inviting me to this. So you specialize in contemporary Japanese social issues, and I'd like to understand a little bit better how modern demands on women specifically conflict with some of the cultural, um, the traditional cultural expectations and frameworks uh, uh, in Japan? You know, talking about the, the status of Japanese women, it's pretty embarrassing. You, you know, I, I mean, Japan is the third largest economy, you know, I- implying that uh, the third most sophisticated industrialized uh, um, uh, Western country. Having said, nevertheless, uh, we do have a pretty nice, uh, you know, uh, level of uh, education and hygiene and all that kind of things. But when it comes to the status of women, they're like a bottom. There is this famous uh, um, uh, international, um, well, I forgot which uh, organization it was, so really uh, the famous organization that comes up with the uh, result of uh, uh, international uh, gender uh, equality index. And uh, uh, I think the latest one is the, is, is uh, uh, they covered uh, almost 150, 140-ish uh, nations and checking, you know, based on their own indicators. And Japan is like 121st. That's surprising. No, and I've noticed this more almost 20 years ago, more than 20 years. And Japanese society, Japan started to take take this, take up this, as an issue, oh yeah, we in those days Japan was still the second largest economy. But anyway, oh yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. It hasn't changed. Even now, we have a wonderful constitution, and uh, we are in which um, men and women's rights are absolutely equal. 
And, uh, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's like the same in the United States and many highly industrialized nations. So you're saying that even though legally uh, and on paper, men and women should be treated equally, of course, in society and culturally, those things have not progressed. And I want to dig into that a little bit more because traditionally, Japan is a pretty stoic culture and there's a tremendous amount of pressure that's placed on both men and women to excel professionally. And women have become much more professionally focused than in decades before, no longer solely relying on men to be the breadwinners of the family. And the implication of this is that men and women are getting married later. Sometimes they're even reserving sexual relationships for later in life. How does this pressure for professional performance um, impact mental health? I think the reality, uh, the, again, the general picture is that even they are, of course, um, given, I mean, as growing up, all Japanese students are giving a lot of pressure from parents to excel in anything. And uh, uh, most Japanese women, uh, they are very highly educated, you know, and and they also aim to get a job after they graduate and even graduate from college. But talking about excelling professionally, they stop at a certain level. And they have to make this major, come to this uh, point of their life oftentimes uh, if they choose to, to follow the path of their mother, like having a family. Um, I have to choose one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's still the case. And uh, many Japanese women, they do get a job after getting finishing the education. That is a big difference, um, let's say, 50, 40 years ago. Everybody thinks about men and women get a good job. But then um, having a family, marrying, and again, and then again, the marriage and having becoming a mother, uh, they just think that I just can't do both. So I have to make a, one of the, you know, I have to choose once one of them. And uh, uh, so a lot of Japanese women uh, who are working, uh, they retreat from the job market for a while. Once they realize that they got pregnant, or maybe they many of more and more of them um, um, uh, continue to work until they have a baby. But then when the baby is born, they also feel I, they have to choose. Um, and then and after a while, um, uh, when child, when, when their children are big enough, you know, uh, they would like to go back to the um, uh, labor market and they started to work again. But the, the picture, uh, environment surrounding their work and the choices are vastly different. And that's really affecting the Japanese woman's mental health. What about the stigma around mental health? You did your training in the United States. You now practice in Tokyo. How does that compare and contrast between these two, you know, radically different cultures? Um, we do have a stronger uh, sense of stigmatization and shame. And uh, plus, I think that many people still lack the knowledge about professional health out there. There are these people, these professional and support uh, systems is increasing and increasing its visibility far more compared to, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago. We're making progress, but uh, people just don't quite think about, uh, I'm so distressed, so let's go to professional people. Um, that, I believe, comes much easier to people in America. Mm-hmm. 
In the past few years, we've seen certain trends come out of Japan to try and abate loneliness. Places like hostess bars, where men predominantly pay hostesses to essentially act like they're interested in him and give him attention, or cuddle cafes where people pay to cuddle or hold hands with a stranger at a cafe. And these are largely non-sexual activities that have become accepted in Japan as ways, um, again, predominantly for men to feel less alone. Are, are these outlets aggravating the social expectation that men have to pretend like they are always okay? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, you know, hostess culture has been a Japanese contemporary culture for many, many decades. Through, through the geisha culture and yes, right. And you're so right in pointing out that it's nothing sexual. It's about more like playing the role, and uh, it's definitely catering to the man's. And and uh, geisha, the world is a little bit different. I mean, they go through this, this decades of training to become a fine performer. But when it comes to the contemporary hostess, they, uh, well, I, to give them respect, some of the very expensive hostess, they have to be very intelligent and well-trained. And But their role is to, yeah, make men feel, feel good. I mean, and uh, raise their, help them raise, feel, um, you know, uh, uh, help their self, maintain their self-esteem. I'm curious how this compares for women. I know that one of your specialties is, is family and gender relations. And I'm, I guess I want to understand, does the same pressure to be stoic exist for women as it does for men in Japanese culture? And if so, do they have similar outlets? I mean, do, do these kind of social um, activities and social outlets exist to serve the women as well? I think that Japanese women have a lot of social outlets. They have their own um, women's circle, friends. Uh, they have much uh, richer, uh, you know, personal relationship with other uh, people outside of home, unlike their own husband. So um, they they can really, and also their tie with uh, uh, their children are so strong and intimate, which. Honestly, uh, personally speaking, I think it's a bit of a problem, uh, but it's another issue. But uh, uh, so they—they they are the ones who actually uh, are more, should I say, well supported informally, uh, even though they, um, um, even though socioeconomically, they are definitely of a of a dis- disadvantaged uh, position in Japan. Yeah, it, it's interesting f- to hear you reflect on how the, the contemporary hostess culture in Japan is really just a, a reflection of um, a cultural practice that has existed for many, many generations in, in the geisha. And of course, the geisha um, women have been, like you said, are trained and go through, a tr- you know, they leave their families at a young age. They go through a tremendous amount of training to learn how to be conversationalists, dancers. They play instruments, you know, how to host, um, for the men. And I just think it's kind of interesting to hear that, that it's really a, a straight line between the two, but maybe one of the differences, and I want to hear you reflect on this. One of the main differences today is that there's a, a much larger percentage of the female population that are in the workforce. And like we said, men and women are getting married later, even having sexual relations later. So how much does that impact men now seeking out that culture of the hostess or the cuddle cafes, whereas 
otherwise it was just a kind of general, um, like you said, business, social business, um, practice, how much of it is really that men and women are not getting together as much as they were previously? I think it, I think it's a very, very good, interesting point, Sabrina. Um, psychologically, I think there might be more need for men, including younger men to, to be giving a, uh, opportunity to feel even on surface or professionally feel good. Because I think another uh, picture I would like to give you is like, uh, you know, young, growing number of, growing uh, more and more younger, uh, I mean, more and more women who are young and college educated. And uh, they're definitely of a different generation and they're more ambitious, even though they might end up uh, facing the big obstacles later on, but they're ambitious and they're also uh, good at communicating their ideas. And um, a lot of times, my impression being also teaching in college and uh, observing the young people in Japan, men, Japanese men, uh, younger men are becoming less and less confident and, and about themselves. And they're a little bit overwhelmed by, uh, I mean, girls do very well at school, you know, in and uh, um, and they just uh, also there's not I think maybe a culturally a lack of good father model I don't know I mean depends on the family again but there's generally a father absent culture in this country so uh, yeah I, I Japanese younger women are um, more energetic and uh, um, looking forward so while while um, uh, younger uh, Japanese men do not necessarily match up with their energy levels. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was trying to get at, which I think is really interesting, is that be- before the patriarchal society that existed kind of placed men on a pedestal and put them in a position of being the head of the family and the breadwinners. And now that women are kind of much more ambitious and very active in the workforce, I don't know culturally it seems like contemporary men don't know how to deal with that dynamic anymore. I mean, I think it's really interesting, though, considering you're seeing the the implications of that in men's mental health. And yet Japan is, you know, near the bottom of the gender equity index, like you said earlier. It's so, like there's still a tremendous amount of work to be done. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see how the mental health fares um, of both genders and, and kind of what takes place as, as hopefully Japan continues to climb that ladder. So let's, let's turn to um, the pandemic now. Uh, while we know that women have been disproportionately impacted around the world, Japan has some of its own unique challenges and circumstances. Um, for example, in Tokyo, where you live, one in five women live alone. And during the pandemic and during lockdown, that's a really challenging position to be in. So um, we'd like to hear a little bit about in what ways did the pandemic exacerbate burdens that women already shoulder in Japanese culture? Um, yes. Uh, first of all, in, in Japan, um, we we haven't seen the same kind of explosion of uh, infections as you battling with in, in America. Uh, mask wearing is a part of a culture and also everybody is more or less 
conforming to what is expected as a social norm. So that helped in the bigger cities. Uh, housing situation is, is I, 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 I kind of miss American house. I mean, I used to live in LA and it's, it's, crowd, it's more crowded and limited. So, I mean, just simple um, um, sort of, you can imagine that people in a crowd, uh, much smaller area, they have children, stress level goes up. And, uh, um, and then maybe women um, have their own work to do from home. And anyway, it's just it's this whole thing about where, you know, the, the stress, domestic stress level went up so much and, uh, and everybody is more or less stuck in a, hot, in a home, um, physically home, and uh, as and the expectation on on women to play the same domestic role continues. So I mean, I think it's it's very easy for you to imagine that it's a, there's a lot of uh, um, tension, and uh, tension and stress can bring a lot of bad things out of the family and out of you. So it's been difficult for women. Yeah. What you're describing isn't dissimilar from what we're seeing here in the United States and and in a lot of places in the world where women are shouldering a domestic burden on top of um, their professional now work from home um, responsibilities. I'm curious, though, about about something we read with regards to Japanese culture, and that's that women often have um, this expectation that they will be the ones managing their family's health. In the case of the pandemic, do you think that Japanese culture placed any shame on women who became infected or whose families became infected? Yes, it's a shame-oriented culture, and uh, people try everything to avoid shame. And uh, this is such a negative aspect of Japanese mentality under the pandemic, I think. Surprisingly, people who got sick, everybody has a potential of getting sick. They are often blamed for getting sick, and uh, uh, it's considered to be the personal responsibility. And the personal responsibility is shared by, oftentimes, very Japanese mentality is by the unit, closest unit, like a family. So blaming the victim uh, has been often seen, and uh, that's that really added another um, uh, pressure to the family and to the. Um, to the woman who, if she became sick, and you might have heard that there is a woman some weeks ago or a month, couple of months ago, who ended up uh, uh, killing herself, believing that she was responsible for infecting her family. Yeah, let's talk about that because the suicide rates in Japan are are something um, absolutely worth noting. I mean, in the last year alone, nearly seven thousand women took their own lives. Um, and that was the first year-over-year increase, it's our understanding anyway, in suicides in the last 15 years in your country. These are some of the highest suicide rates in the world. Why is that? What is it about the experience of the Japanese woman during this pandemic that drove to such tragic numbers? Um, okay. Can I give you the... First of all, Japan, Japanese people have been described to have this propensity for suicide as a last resort because we are not a Christian culture and we have a um, in traditional Japanese cultural uh, view of death is a bit of a different. 
there's not a strong sense of guilt attached to. And no, no fear of hell the way that religion often puts into people's heads. Probably, yeah. Uh, but uh, um, it's it's quite shocking, in, like as you pointed out, under this pandemic, we do see a lot more women killing than before. Um, because uh, um, Japanese uh, society was known for a high, uh, high suicide rate among the industrial societies, but it was typically about men. Right. You, you know, work workaholic men who lost everything, uh, you know, when they lost the job. And uh, women are considered to be stronger and uh, have more support, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, they are probably more resilient. They have other outlets and stuff. But now um, it's it's a crazy, abnormal situation everywhere, but definitely in Japan too. Um, yeah, sense of uh, um, excessive, a little bit pathological responsibility and guilt of infecting others. So going, I just want to, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to go back to the underlying shame is what you're, I think that's the kind of the word that I'm taking away from this conversation, underline, highlight, exclamation point, which is that this shame oriented culture is the thing that is putting so much extra pressure, so much guilt and really affecting the mental health of women specifically during this pandemic because something that they otherwise would not be able to control, i.e. contracting COVID, is being blamed on them. And that is a shame that cannot be tolerated. Yes. Wow. That's unbelievable. But you know, this blaming the victim kind of mentality has been particularly around last 20 years or so. I mean, Japan had used to have this sense of community and in trying to support each other and family tie was stronger. So it was not like something happened like in the from 21st century and on. What ha- I mean, what happened? That's so much more novel than I would have expected. Yeah, I wonder. Um, policy change? Yeah, I mean, it's just an interesting, I would have, you were talking about, you know, this, this sense of shame that's deeply embedded in Japanese culture, but it's actually, it's actually relatively new. And also, I would like to point out, again, we talk, since we're talking about culture, I like to point out this sort of, when many, Jap- when many Japanese children are growing up, the message, we get a lot of message from parents and good and sometimes bad, but I don't really hear this from America and any other countries that many Japanese girls, boys are grow, growing up by hearing their parents say, I mean, among of many other good things that, that they are supposed to be instilled, grow up to be a, somebody who do not cause trouble to others. It's just, it used to be my generation, but even today, uh, it's like a part of like a kind of sort of sense of morality. You grow up to be a fine grown uh, adult, somebody who does not cause any other uh, trouble. Don't be burdensome. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, um, I was hoping that it's, it used to be my generation, but no, it's, it's so strong. So uh, even, uh, maybe even stronger among young people somehow. So we should not cause trouble to others and should not cause trouble. So? So don't, yeah. So then let me end it and I won't cause trouble for anyone. So so let's double click on that because high school girls specifically saw twice the number of suicides than in previous years. 
do you believe that what you're saying around the don't cause trouble for anyone kind of be on the sideline? Do you think that that's the underlying reason? Yes. And also they just don't know um, how to seek help. And also, unfortunately, sense of family tie. I mean, there is increasing divorce, definitely an increase of um, a single mother family and you know how single mother can struggle. Uh, I, I really believe should address how to express your sorrow kind of thing, you know. So Yuko, if I, if I told you that the women of Japan were listening and I give you the microphone and I say, what, what do you want to say? What is the one takeaway, the one message that you hope that women in Japan or even around the world take away from this conversation? What, what do you want it to be? I would say it's perfectly okay to recognize and admit um, that you are distressed and feeling weak and sad. And it's, it's actually a courageous thing to seek help. Actually, I, I say this to a lot of first-time clients because I, I understand if they are Japanese, it must have been uh, one big step for them to overcome to come to see me. So I would even commend their courage. Um, and um, also being, getting a little bit from uh, idea from Japanese culture, I, I believe that nothing, nothing lasts forever. And what you are experiencing, you might think is you are the bottom of everything, but it's just a temporary thing and nothing lasts forever. You, you change, circumstances change. So um, no reason to be hopeless. And, and, uh, and you'll be surprised also, uh, once you're willing to seek help, uh, actually there are a lot of people who would like to help you, public and private. So I, I don't know, I might be optimi too optimistic, but uh, I, I believe that human nature is such that uh, we want to help each other. Breaking Glass is a production of Evoke Media. Evoke is a nonprofit organization that exists in order to elevate the people and stories that are working to make the world a more unified and equitable place. Learn more at weareevokemedia.com. <laughs>